The following audio is from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Acts is available at actschurchleander.com. Well, hey, it is uh, good to be back with y'all today. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I was out of town last week. Um, I was in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, I'm glad I was there last week, not this week. I uh, definitely dodged a bullet that way. Uh, but, but I was there for, for a couple reasons. Uh, I spent the second half of the week, I'll tell you about that first, I spent the second half of the week, I was, I was speaking at a youth event that they had out there, so I got to go and speak and, and share the gospel with some kids, and that was cool. And then, But the first half of the week, uh, I was in Baltimore because, as some of you know, uh, I do some work as a, as a chaplain for the local professional soccer team here in Austin. Uh, and yes, we have a professional soccer team here in Austin uh, called the Austin Aztecs, and so I get to do some chaplaincy work with them. And we had our annual pro soccer chaplains meeting. I know, you didn't know that existed. It does. It does. Uh, and it happened in Baltimore, which is where the, the site of the MLS draft was. And so we all went and just kind of fangirled, and, and it was really great. Um, and it was really cool to be a part of this experience because I kind of got to see how uh, God is using all these, these, these different chaplains th- throughout North America, really U.S. and Canada, to, to advance the gospel through this, this game of soccer. But I had this really sort of funny experience uh, while I was there. I was talking on the phone with my wife, Melissa, one night. And, and we're talking, and she's just like, hey, you know, how's it going? Are, are the other chaplains being nice to you? You know, are you making friends, buddy? And, and I was like, oh, yeah, they're, they're really nice. And I was, like, I was like, babe, actually, it's just crazy. I was like, I get along with these guys so well. Like, like they're my people. Like, I just feel so comfortable with them. I just feel relaxed this whole time. Like, and then I just I kept thinking about it. I was like, you know, it's even crazy. You know, you know how, like, when you talk with someone, you guys know us too. When you talk with someone and you reach that point where, like, you don't know who's going to ask the question next, and you're not really sure what you should say next, and you just kind of stand there and stare at each other, and it's awkward, and the social anxiety creeps up, right? You know what I'm talking about? I was like, that never happens with these guys. Like, never. It's just this natural, it's just this comfortable place that I'm living in. And so I started thinking about that. I was like, why, why am I so comfortable with this group of guys? And then it hit me. Like, I'm at a soccer chaplain's meeting. Right? Like, apart from my family, my two biggest loves in the world are soccer and being a pastor, right? And these guys share the exact same passions as me. So, of course, we're going to get along, right? I mean, I remember thinking to myself, I was like, dude, if we go to a punk show at the end of this week, I am never leaving Baltimore. Like, I have just died and gone to heaven. You know, like, who knew it would be in Baltimore? But there it was. And, uh, and so... It, there's just something about that, right? Being with people who are like you, who kind of see the world the way you do, who, who share the same passions as you, it's awesome. It's just, it's comfortable, right? It's nice. It's refreshing. It's easy. Well, we're in a, a series right now called Multiply, and we're, we're going through the book of Acts, and what we see in the beginning of the book of Acts is that Jesus, he sends his followers out, and he says, hey, uh, I want you to spread the gospel. And the first place they start is in Jerusalem with people that are like them, with people that they're comfortable with, with people that they know. And that's really the first half of the book of Acts is is that they kind of stay at home base. But we know that Jesus calls his followers. He says, hey, you can't just stay at home base. You can't just stay with the people that look like you, that sound like you, that talk like you, that share the same cultural history as you. you got to go out. And he says, you got to go to Samaria. you got to go to the ends of the earth. And so now we're in the second half of the book of Acts, And this is really where the church starts to take the gospel into the Greco-Roman world to people who are not like them. And they take it to to the region of the Mediterranean. And the way the the Holy Spirit really chooses to advance the gospel this way at this time uh, is through a man named Paul. Now just so we're all on the same page, this will be a refresher for some of you and then perhaps new knowledge for other of you. But Paul was a guy, big deal in the early church, but he didn't start out as a Christian. 
Uh, he was a religious leader in the Jewish faith. He was, he was part of an extremely devout sect of Jewish leaders called Pharisees. And when the church, uh, when the gospel came out, when Jesus rose and, and the church started proclaiming that he was the Messiah, that he's the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies, uh, Paul didn't like it. And he tried to persecute the church and he tried to kill Christians and get them arrested. He tried to put an end to it. He tried to stop the church from growing. But what we see in the book of Acts is that Paul has this radical encounter with the resurrected Jesus and everything flips for him. And he goes from being this guy who's persecuting the church to being the first and greatest missionary for the church from trying to shut it down to growing it. And, and it's important that you see Paul's history, that you recognize that he was a Pharisee, uh, because one of the things we actually know from history uh, is that Pharisees every morning would say a prayer, to, um, not together, they just say it when they woke up in the morning. Every morning Pharisees would say a prayer, and it starts off like this. Lord God, I thank thee that you did not make me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Every morning. So every morning when Paul's a Pharisee, he wakes up in his first prayer. Lord God, I thank thee that you did not make me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Now check this out. What I love about our text for today is Paul, he's encountered the resurrected Jesus. He gets his whole life flipped around. He goes to the city of Philippi to share the gospel and who are the first three people that the Holy Spirit leads Paul to share the gospel with? A woman, a slave, and a Gentile. It's awesome. So cool. But even beyond the incredible sense of irony that we see the Spirit of God has, uh, what we see in these three people and the conversion of these three people is three truths about the gospel. And so here's what we're going to see today. Uh, first of all, we'll see that the gospel, uh, it can't be canned. It's not canned. Like, like the message of the gospel is the same, right? But the way it penetrates into people's hearts, the way it speaks to people, the way that message is received, the way it breaks down barriers, like it can't be canned. It doesn't work like that. So the gospel can't be canned. But then we see that those who receive the gospel respond in generosity, that the gospel inspires generous hearts and then thirdly, we'll see that uh, a people moved by the gospel leave behind a legacy. All right? So the gospel can't be canned. The gospel inspires generous hearts. People moved by the gospel build a legacy. All right? So let's, let's get going. Uh, gospel can't be canned. And this is what we're going to see as we go through the text right now, is that the gospel, it comes to three very different people who have three sort of very different spiritual dispositions. And we see how the gospel speaks to each of them. We'll see how the gospel speaks to the religious person how it speaks to the oppressed person, and how it speaks to the secular person. All right, that's what we're going to see. So let's, first of all, let's see how it speaks to the religious person. And it first comes to this lady uh, named Lydia, who's a religious woman. So look with me at verses 13 to 14 in our text. It says this, And on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. All right, so let's uh, notice a few things about Lydia. All right. Uh, verse 14, there's a Lydia here. I won't point her out because it's embarrassing. Uh, so verse 14, though, uh, it says that she's a worshiper of God, right? And that means, uh, that's actually a technical term. Uh, it means that she was not uh, Jewish by heritage, 
Uh, but she converted to Judaism and started worshiping the God of the Bible, started worshiping the true God. And so, so she chose that. So she's, she's a religious lady, right? Like, so she chose to enter into this lifestyle. She's going to know her Bible. She's going to know her Old Testament and the, the Ten Commandments, and she's going to be following all the rules. She's going to be this moral, religious woman. And then on top of that, though, we see that she's actually probably a pretty wealthy woman, right? It says she's a seller of purple goods. Now, in those days, of course, purple was hard to come by. It was incredibly expensive. And so for her to be in, in the market, to be a businesswoman that's selling purple goods, she's probably doing all right financially. Like She's a seller of purple goods. She's doing all right. She's an independent woman. right? So, so we've got Lydia, this rich religious woman. And so how does the gospel come to her? Well, verse 13 and 14 tell us. It's really simple. It says this. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Paul and his companions come and they sit down and they speak with Lydia and her friends. They have a rational discourse. That the gospel comes to the religious person through rational discourse. And I just like to imagine Paul and Lydia's conversation. Like I could see him sitting down with her and being like, hey Lydia, listen, I know you know your Old Testament. You know your stuff. And so I, I just want to tell you, I, I think the, the key to understanding all the Bible has, has happened. It's here. And I can see him just walking through it and being like, so Lydia, you know how like in Genesis 12, God promises Abraham that, that he's going to have a family that's as numerous as the stars in the sky, that's going to be this sort of eternal family? Like, I believe that sort of stuff is taking place right now, that that's possible right now. And I could see him being like, and you know how the Israelites, the ancient Israelites, they, they had to sacrifice animals to atone for their sins? You, you don't have to do that anymore. That's not going to be a thing anymore. That's been taken care of. That was pointing to something even greater. And I could see him saying, and you know how the, the prophets of old, they would talk about how, how God one day was going to welcome all the Gentiles into his chosen people, that they're going to be welcomed, that we're all going to come in on equal footing, there's going to be no distinction. Like, that's happening right now. And I could see Paul just saying, like, let me tell you about Jesus. Everything you know in your Bible, Lydia, it's pointing you to Jesus. That he's the heir of Abraham through whom all of us are being united into eternal family. That he's the one atoning sacrifice of all time. That we don't got to be slaughtering lambs and goats anymore. But he's paid the price for all our sins. He's paid the price for all your sins. And I could see him saying like, and, and he didn't stay dead, but he rose. And so that means that all people everywhere are welcomed into God's family forever. That there's no distinction anymore. And I can see him sh sharing that with Lydia. That everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. And it says what happens in verse 14. That the Lord opens her heart. The Lord opened her heart. That through rational discourse, the gospel came to religious Lydia. Rational discourse. Now how does it come to the oppressed? How does it come to the oppressed? Look with me at, at verses 16 to 18. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. My favorite part. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Now check out the juxtaposition between Lydia and this slave girl. Like we're kind of meant to see two contrasting characters here. So on the one hand, like they're just opposite in every possible way, right? So on one hand, you got Lydia, uh, who is a wealthy woman, right? So financially wealthy. 
On the other hand, you got the slave girl. You don't get poorer than being a slave, right? Wealthy woman, slave girl. And then let's just look at them sort of morally, spiritually, right? You got Lydia, who's a religious observer, very moral woman. Slave girl, possessed by a demon, right? Like kind of the other extreme there, right? And then three, look at, look at where that, like Lydia's quiet. We don't actually even hear her say much of anything till the very end. The slave girl is loud. She's shouting. And so we're meant to see there's, there's kind of a contrast here, and yet the gospel comes to both of them. The gospel speaks to both opposite ends of the spectrum in almost every way possible. And the gospel comes to both of them because the gospel can't be canned. And so how does the gospel come to this oppressed girl? Through a display of power. And we don't have time to get into to all the details of it. But we see that this display of power not only changes her personally, but when the gospel comes to the oppressed, it changes people on an individual level, but it also confronts the societal issues that are oppressing people. And when the gospel comes, it liberates across the board. When the gospel comes to the oppressed, it doesn't just change the individual, though it does. It confronts those things societally that are holding them down. Gospel liberates across the board through a display of power. And so the gospel comes to the religious through discourse, to the oppressed through power. And then in our third example, we're going to see how it comes to a secular person. Uh, so I know, let me just summarize what happens in the text uh, that, that we read through earlier. So, of course, they, you know, Paul gets annoyed, uh, takes out a demon. I wish that happened when I got annoyed. I just lay on the horn, you know. But that's what he does. Uh, good for him. And so, so he does that. And, and the, the owners of this girl are ticked because now they can't exploit her anymore. They can't get any money from her anymore. And so what they do is they somehow find a way to get Paul and Silas beaten and flogged and stripped and thrown into prison for doing this. And so they get thrown into prison, and it says a jailer was assigned to guard them, and he put them in stocks. Now, stocks were actually a mild form of torture from that time. Uh, and what would happen is they, they'd, they'd bind your legs up, and they'd do it in such a way that you'd actually start to get, like, really bad cramps just a few minutes after being uh, bound by these stocks. What's amazing, though, is our text tells us that after they've been through all this, right, falsely accused, beaten, stripped, thrown into prison, mildly tortured, after they go through all of this, I know if you caught it, our text says, what do they do? They start singing praises to God. They start singing hymns to God. Like, I don't know how you respond to hardship, but that's what they did. Start singing praises to God, and it said everyone's listening to them. And in the midst of that, an earthquake happens, and it opens up all the cell doors, loosens all the shackles, and the jailer sees this, and he freaks out because he thinks all the prisoners are going to escape. And in those days, as a jailer, if you lose your prisoner, it's your life for theirs. Like, you're done, right? He escaped, you're dead. And so this guy, he really cares about his honor, doesn't want to bring shame on himself or his family, and so he's going to kill himself. So he pulls his sword out, and he's going to kill himself. And then this happens. Verse 28 to 31, if you got your Bible out, it says this. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. All right, so let's notice a few things about the jailer and how the gospel comes to him. All right, so let's just think a little bit about the jailer. The jailer, more than likely, uh, is, is a former Roman soldier. 
right? He's, he's, a, he's an ex-GI. Uh, Philippi was a, a big military hub for the Roman Empire, and a lot of former soldiers lived there, and a lot of civil service jobs went to former soldiers. And so that's probably what he was. He was a jailer, and he got this job after he retired from being in the army. And so he's kind of, you kind of see in your head, he's like, like he's a blue-collar dude. He's just going about his business, doing his work. He's doing his work one day, not really thinking about spiritual things, not really thinking about all this stuff, just kind of wants to do his thing, take care of his, you know, just a simple guy. And then these religious weirdos who are trying to convert everyone somehow end up in his prison. So he goes about, does his job, not really thinking about spiritual things. And yet somehow the gospel comes to him. It's not even on his radar. And it comes to him. Well, how does that happen? Well, let's think about what he sees. So first of all, he, he sees these two uh, religious wackos, Paul and Silas, uh, get arrested, get beaten, get stripped, get tortured. And he sees them respond to all of that by singing praises to God. And then it gets even crazier, right? Because when they could escape, when they could leave, when they have the perfect opportunity to leave, they don't. And they say, hey, bro, we're staying right here. They give up their lives so the jailer doesn't lose his. Where does that come from? They trade their lives for his. And so after seeing this contentment in the midst of suffering, after seeing the selflessness of Paul and Silas, this dude, this jailer says, where can I get some of that? Right? He sees the practical outworkings of the gospel in the Christian life. That's how he hears the gospel. As he sees it lived. See, for the secular, spiritually indifferent guy, it's the moral character of Paul and Silas that lead him to hear the gospel. Now check this out. The gospel has come to three distinct people. The religious, the oppressed, the secular. It's come through discourse, through power, through practice. And I say all that and someone says, okay, well good. So what? Like good for them, like what does that have to do with me? Well, let me speak to, to two groups of people here. First of all, if you're a Christian, uh, that means that you're on mission, right? That it just comes with the territory. If you're a Christian, you're on mission. It means you want everyone everywhere to know the gospel. You want everyone everywhere to know who Jesus is and what he's done for you and what he's done for them. It's just what it is. And what this text tells us is that for some of you, man, you may have been, been at this game for a while, and you've got people in your life, and you think, there's no way they would ever be a Christian. There's no way they'd ever believe in the hope of the gospel. There's no way that would happen. What this text tells us is that whoever that is for you, that person's not too far off. It doesn't exist. The gospel's not canned. The gospel can come to them too. It's meant for everyone. That's for the Christian. If you're not a Christian, let me say this. Please see that this text shows us that there's no religious type. There's no churchy type, right? All these people in this text come from vastly different cultural backgrounds, vastly different spiritual backgrounds, and yet the gospel is for them. And so I think sometimes I talk to my friends who, who are, are not Christian, and they say, hey, Gabe, that's cool for you. You like your church stuff. You do your thing. Hey, way to go. But I'm just, I'm just not the religious type. It's not really my deal. This text shows us, like, that's not an excuse. You can't let that get you out from under the weight of the claims of the gospel. 
doesn't work like that. It's meant for you too. The gospel can't be canned. Something else I love about this text, though, is point two. We're going to take a slight turn here, okay? What we see in this text, I don't know if you caught it when we went through it, is how the gospel inspires generosity. How the gospel inspires generosity. So, I don't know if you noticed, uh, but both the Lydia, Lydia and the jailer respond to the gospel in generosity. Just check this out. Verse 15 for Lydia. Look what happens. She hears the gospel, and this happens. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And then verses 33 to 34 tell us what happens to the jailer. And he took them the same hour, here's the gospel, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Did you notice what happens in their stories? Right? Like both Lydia and the jailer, they hear the gospel, they receive it, they tell their whole family about it. Like, guys, you got to hear about this. This is awesome. Everybody gets baptized. It's just wild. And then the first thing they do after they hear the gospel is they open up their homes. They give of what they have. That the gospel for them inspires generosity. But that's what the gospel does. And can I tell you, friends, like that's the most logical thing in the world. Right? The gospel inspires generosity. It just does. I mean, we say it like almost every week before we give our offerings, right? I said it this week on purpose. That we, we freely give back to the God who's freely given us everything. That God is generous to us and that we are generous with everything he's given us. We live with open hands. It's just part of the Christian life. And we actually see a contrast in this text between those who respond to the gospel and those who don't in terms of how they live generously. Like verse 19, it, it, it talks about the, the slave owners of this girl, and, and she, this poor girl is released from this demon, released from this oppression. And so they lose their income, and we see how they respond. Look at this. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Like, we're meant to see the contrast there. Like, what happens when these guys lose their hope of gain? They lose their minds because everything was dependent on that for them. Oh, man, we lost our money. What else do we have? We've got nothing else. So they lose their minds. But see, for the Christian, see, we're freed to be generous, man. We're freed because all of our hope, all of our hope of gain is given to us already. It is. In Jesus, everything we have is given to us in him. And listen, like, I say that, and I know it's like it's so simple to sort of just, like, turn that into a platitude. Right? Like I say, oh yeah, everything we have is from Jesus. We have all the gain we need from him. And it's so simple to just like hang that into a platitude and, and cross-stitch it onto a thing and hang it on your wall in your living room. All right? It's true. It's just true. That if you see that, that Jesus came and that he lived the life that you could not, that he died the death that you deserve, and that on account of him, God's grace reaches into your life and says, hey, I forgive you. I love you. You're my kid no matter what. You're redeemed. You've got new life. You see, when God's grace is that real to you, like you've gained it all. You really have. You're free to be generous. It just sort of flows. You know, think about it. And i got to say what's been amazing to me 
uh, as a pastor of this congregation is to see how the grace of God has led to incredible generosity. And I know I've shared some of these numbers with you before, with some of you before, but, but not with all of you. Um, and so let me just share some of them. So in the calendar year uh, 2015, uh, in addition to, to sort of covering all our, our bills, covering our, our operating costs here at Acts Church Leander, um, which is important, advance the gospel in our community, uh, but you, Acts Church Leander, have given close to $30,000 uh, in missions and benevolence outside of here, that we've sent that out, right? Close to $30,000 to families in need and to people who don't know the gospel yet. And then our church, uh, we've existed, so we launched September of 2013. So in about two and a half years, I uh, did the math on this, and, and we've given, so we've paid our bills, and then we've given over that $80,000, uh, close to $80,000 to people in need and to folks to hear the gospel that has been sent out from this place. Like, that's awesome. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, we are not a big church. Like, we, we are a small group of people, but God has somehow, His grace has inspired this sort of miraculous generosity in your hearts, and it's awesome to see that. And I say all that, but we also know we're not done, right? We also know that, that God, that the best things for us are still ahead, that he's still got work for us to do, that he's been gracious to us, and so we live with open hands. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about the specifics of that next week, uh, so you can just plan to skip. Uh, but, but that's uh, because I know, right? Like, I'm, I'm making this turn, and all of a sudden, like, the, the arms are crossing, the, the butt cheeks are clenching, you're saying, oh, he's going to talk about money. He's going to talk about money. Here it comes. Here, yep, I am, okay? So if that makes you uncomfortable, get over it, all right? Tough, all right? Because, uh, listen, let me say, it, it, now, if you're not a Christian, that's how you just ignore this part. Like, just tune me out. That's fine. Uh, but if you're a Christian, you got to hear this. Because seriously, if, if you were to read the Gospels, if you were to read the stories of Jesus' life, who he was, what he did, what he said, and if you were to just count all the times he talks about money, all the times he talks about money, 25% of the times he talks is about money. One out of every four times he talks is about money. So if you don't like the church talking about it, your issue is not really with the church, it's with Jesus. You've got to figure that out. Okay? So let's get into it. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? He knows that it's got strings attached to our heart. That's just part of it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we're so tempted to sort of allegorize that and be like, oh yeah, treasure, what could that mean? Certainly not money, anything but that. Um, right? and, and so we got no, he's being very lit literal here. This is not a hypothetical situation. He's saying, where your treasure is, there your heart is. So he says, hey, do you want to know what you care about? Do you want to know what you're invested in? Do you want to know what matters to you? Look at your bank account. He's super practical here. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. I say that, and for some of you, you say, hey, all right, well, I'll check that out. I'll see where my heart is. And you look, and you say, oh, hey, actually, I guess I really do care. I guess the gospel has moved me in such a way to, to be generous towards this ministry. And some of you, maybe you look and you say, hey, man, I thought my heart was in this more than it is, but, uh, but it's not. I haven't been really as generous as, as God's called me to be. I've been, really, uh, I've been more sporadic in, in how I'm supposed to, to live, and so um, I guess I've I got to change that. I've got to increase that. And some of you, man, may, maybe you've been Christians your whole life, and you think your heart's been in it, but you may look and be like, I've just been given lip service. I've not put any skin in the game. And you may have to say, man, God's grace is real. He's calling me to be generous. Wherever you're at, I'm saying you've got to be honest with that 
and you go from there. And listen, I know I, I say this, and this isn't about me like guilting you into anything. All right? I'm not saying this like I need it. All right? Listen, we all see me rolling in style, my 2007 Hyundai Elantra. All right? We're doing good. All right? Um, this is about allowing the gospel to work itself out in your life. That's all it is. It's about allowing the gospel to work itself out in your life. And so just know this. Like, like we don't hire anyone here who works on staff at X Church Leander uh, if they don't give to this church. Like literally in their job description is they have to tithe. You don't tithe, you don't have a job. Like that's, that's how it works here. And, and here's why we do that. We don't place people in leadership here if they don't live generously. And here's why we do that. Point three. We want the gospel to work in us, in this place, a legacy of generosity. See, one of the the awesome things about Acts 16 is we actually get to see sort of what happens to this little band of people in the city of Philippi. Because a few decades later, Paul, who first met them, first introduced them to the gospel, a few decades later, Paul writes them a letter while he's in prison. And we actually have the letter. Uh, We have it in the Bible. It's called Philippians. And that letter is actually a thank you letter that Paul writes to this little church that gets started in Acts 16 because they've been supporting him and caring for him while he's been in prison. I just think, how incredible is that? That this little church that started by receiving the gospel and responding with generosity has left behind such an incredible legacy. Like, listen to to Philippians 4. Paul writes to them, and he says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I first shared it with you, when I left Macedonia... No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. I just love it, man. This little church that starts with this like rich religious woman with a slave girl and with a, a blue-collar jailer, like the, the most random group of people for God to bring together. This little church has left behind such a legacy of generosity that we are talking about it 2,000 years later. Like, that's crazy. And that's what I want for us. And isn't that what you want too? Don't, don't you want to invest in things that matter? That matter in the long haul? To be a part of a church that's invested in the legacy of generosity? That's what I want to be a part of. And I know, man, like, I'm, I'm talking a big game, and it's a little scary to dream about things like this. And I think so often, you know, we talk about generosity, we talk about the gospel invading our lives, these sorts of things. And it just becomes like, okay, that's all well and good, Gabe. I get where you're going, but, like, I got this stuff right here in front of my face. And so it's really hard for me to hear what you're saying, to listen to anything. Listen, can I just tell you, just think about who the God is that we serve. Like, if he's actually real, if he's actually in control of all things, if he's actually called you to be his child, to care for you, to provide for you, if we actually just like rested in that, found that to be true in our lives, this maybe wouldn't matter so much. So uh, uh, this last week I was, I was talking with my friend Andy. He's a, uh, the chaplain for um, the professional soccer team in Orlando, Florida. And uh, the team in Orlando, Florida, Orlando City, uh, they have a player on their team, for those of you that are not too keen on the soccer world, uh, named Kaka. And if you don't know, Kaka is like, probably one of the 10 best players in the last decade, probably one of the best players in the history of the world. Like, he's just insanely good. Uh, anything you can win in soccer, he's won. He's won the World Cup. He's won Champions League. He's won the Ballon d'Or. He's won Serie A. Like, anything you can win, he's done it. Uh, and he's a Christian. 
uh, and he plays for this team in Orlando, and he plays there now because he's like 400 years old, and so we just take the old guys and they play in our league. And uh, anyways, and so, but, but he's a Christian, and so my buddy Andy is his chaplain. He's his pastor, Kaka's pastor, my friend Andy. And he shared with me what happened the first time that, that he prayed with him. Uh, so what happens is uh, my buddy Andy, before every home game, he gathers together with any of the guys on the team that, that want to pray and, and have a chapel service. And so he shares a little bit of God's word with them, and then, and then they pray before every home game. Well, first game of the season, uh, Kaka probably had some press thing or whatever, and so he just missed the chapel service. And so Andy stops by the locker room, and he just says, hey, man, uh, just wanted to say good luck with the game and blessings to you. And Kaka says, oh, Andy, I'm so sorry I missed the service. Uh, would you mind stepping over here and praying with me in the corner real quick b- before the game? And my buddy Andy says, sure. And so, so they go in the corner, and my, my friend Andy told me, he's like, Gabe, I was like standing in the corner, he's like, it just popped and I was like, oh my gosh, like I am praying with Kaka right now. Like he's like, I just can't believe it. Like he's like, he's just like, he's like, I was so overwhelmed that I was praying with this incredible guy. And he said, as soon as I thought that, it was like God hit me upside the head and said, Andy, you idiot, you're talking to the God of the universe right now, right? That's the most incredible thing about this moment. And so I think so often, man, when we think about generosity, when we think about the gospel reaching into people's lives, we think, no, this couldn't happen. Couldn't be me. Couldn't be them. Couldn't happen that way. God says, look at who I am. Look at what I've done. And so my prayer for you is that you see that because of Jesus, you've got full access to the God of the universe. And I pray that that would shape you to live with generosity now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my friends that you've gathered here today. I thank you for your gospel that finds its way into each of our lives. For some of us, we we came to know you through rational discourse. For some of us, we came to know you through displays of power. For some of us, we came to know you because we saw it lived out in someone's life. Lord God, teach us to... uh, to live into that gospel, to see that you're generous, that you're caring, that you've provided everything we need in Jesus. And from that, may we be generous people. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.